Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. I'm your host, Tony Moore. If you guys are loving the content, be sure to share it on LinkedIn so the influence of my guests goes a little bit further than just my network, your network. You can find this podcast on every podcast platform. The big popular ones, obviously, are anything on Google or iTunes or Spotify. Be sure you subscribe so you get notified of all the new episodes that come out every week. As you know, I am a national food and beverage headhunter, and I've got the best food and beverage executives in the industry that come on to talk about what's happening in the industry, the trends, their company, things that you should be looking for to make your career better through their insights, their wisdom. That's why it's called Winning at Work. In fact, Winning at Work has been named one of the top learning and development podcasts on the internet. It's a huge honor. It's really because my guests are so amazing. I'm just really grateful that I'm able to host them and bring them into this format so they can share their wonderful wisdom with us. And today I've got Lorne Zweig. Lorne is the vice president of sales from Sleeman Breweries. Sleeman was banned from selling beer for smuggling during the prohibition years. So that makes them the bad boys of beer as far as I'm concerned. We're going to get into what are some of the differences between beer and seltzer, why seltzer is becoming such a big category within the beer world. Really lots of trends for us to unpack with the better for you, specifically how companies are expanding in the beverage space through sampling, POS, innovation, anything that can drive that sales volume. It's very difficult right now. Obviously, things are not quite the same. Lauren has really been diving deep into some more advanced leadership strategies. We're going to get into more of kind of his philosophies, things that he is finding really working well within his organization. He takes a lot of inspiration from from other companies, other organizations, particularly the Toronto Blue Jays. He helped us understand how to help a struggling salesperson. And really, finally, you know, why is it so important to set that why? Lauren. Looking forward to this conversation. I hope everyone else enjoys it as much as I did. Sit back and enjoy this latest episode on Winning at Work. Welcome to Winning at Work. I have got another great session lined up for everybody. I think I'm really getting into beer, maybe a little too much, because today I have Lauren Zweig. He's the vice president of sales for Sleeman Brewery. Uh, Lauren, I should have told you, before we start a podcast, I, I'm... You have to send a, a care package of beer. I did not make that clear. <laughs> I will so, do that. I'll have to figure out how to get it over the border, but uh, we, we, can, we can figure that out. Uh, absolutely. And I'd love for you suddenly, to try some of our great products. Suddenly, uh, my motives have become very clear. <laughs> well, I've seen you've done you a few podcasts beer podcasts as well. Beer. So. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I like it. I like it. Well, I'd love for you to all- try beer sometime. Listen, it, it makes the world go around. It's a great uh, it's a great product for the industry. It touches so many people, so many lives. And I, I'm really curious. I, I, I want to learn more about this brand, Sleeman. And obviously, you guys are Canadian. So before we get into our, our meatier topic around uh, sales and sales leadership and you know, your actual expertise. Give us an overview of Sleeman. I know you guys have at least three or four breweries up in Canada. You go way back to the 1800s. It's sort of kind of fascinating. It's a, it's a cool story. It goes back to 1834 and, and John Sleeman's great, great grandfather kind of began building kind of this, this legacy based on, you know, the love of, of beer. 
So it goes way back. Um, it's born from five generations of, of family brewing heritage. So it, it all began in 1834 when, when John H. Sleeman opened the first Sleeman Brewery. And that family tradition was passed down. But unfortunately, in 1933, we got caught for smuggling beer during Prohibition. So uh, there was some Al Capone synergy with, with our company and, and Prohibition and all that kind of fun stuff. So we were banned from selling beer for 50 years. I love so, it. You little bit of a yeah. bad boy image here. Yeah, we've used that in some of our advertising, and, and it's been it's been kind of cool. So, yeah, we were banned for 50 years, and then really 50 years later, John Sleeman, who is the chairman of our company today, his aunt really came forward uh, and told John about his family and, and the company. John didn't know a lot about it. And there was this family recipe book and, and an original bottle, and that's really how it, it started. So John opened the, the brewery in 1988, and, you know, um, there we go. We've got uh, this great company called, called Sleeman Breweries. So it's quite a unique story. Well, and I noticed you've got a number of different brands. So kind of walk us through what are the top brands in Canada. Yeah, we're, you know, our top brand is called Sleeman Clear 2.0, and we're really, uh, we're on that trend, and it's the same in the U.S. It's that better for you uh, trend. So Sleeman Clear is low in carbs, low in calories. It's like Michelob Ultra. So that's our real growth engine. Um, we've also got a brand called Original Draft, which would be similar to like a Budweiser or, or a Miller um, so those two brands are really, you know, our lead Sleeman brands, but we've also got this brand called Sapporo, which is a great, uh, import brand for us. Uh, Sapporo bought Sleeman in 2006 and they've been a great partner and they've really, you know, uh, you know, turned our company into a world-class, you know, brewing organization. So those would be three, you know, really good brands that really drive a lot of our growth in, in Canada. So Sleeman Clear, Original Draft and, and Sapporo. You know, companies are very wary of when they're bought that they lose their culture. Was that a was that the case here? No, that's a great question, Tony. I mean, and I and I worked for I don't want to go back into my history, but I, I worked for Labatt when uh, Ambev bought Labatt. So you know, Brazilian ownership came in, and so I saw that. And uh, with the Japanese coming into Sleeman, they really embraced the culture. And really recognize that, okay, we bought this company in, in Canada. We're, we're, we're a Japanese ownership, but we're in Canada. We need to understand, you know, the Canadian culture and the Canadian way of doing things. So they've done a really good job of, of listening, implementing some of their best practices, I would say, from Japan. But they really embrace the Canadian culture. And we run it like a Canadian company. I mean, we've got Japanese ownership, but we run it like a Canadian company, which is, which is great. Um, and that wasn't the, that wasn't the case, you know, when I was at Labatt and Ambev came in and, and purchased Labatt, it was, it was quite different. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a nice, uh, change. Um, and the, you know, I would say Sapporo has done a great job of embracing and understanding the Canadian culture. Yeah. I've heard that about the Japanese, that they really have understood, they've done a great job of understanding Western culture. They've been in the American market for a long time, um, you know, acquiring and working in through the electronics industry. So I think that has definitely helped them learn to give more of the control to the the company that they've acquired. So I think that says a lot about their their business philosophy and how they have evolved. 
I know that's not the case for a lot of other or uh, other countries. It's sure. I, mean, I think I think the Japanese are really on the on the front edge of that. Now, in terms of selling beer in Canada and the regulations, and then kind of comparing that to the U.S., you've worked in both. So, what's the kind of the, the high level you know similarities, but maybe major differences? Yeah, it's funny. In Canada, we have provinces, and so every province is different. Like every state is kind of unique in the U.S., but we don't have that three tier system. We don't have that that wholesaler system. So that is probably the unique difference, I would say, between Canada and the U.S. But depending on the provinces, Tony, every province is different. So in Quebec, we would be like a DSD, so like Pepsi and Coke. We would deliver direct to store. Um, in Ontario, where our home office is and where I live, um, we've got two kind of big retailers, one being the LCBO, which is controlled by the government, and one being the beer store, which is owned by the brewer. So, you know, and, and as you go province to province, it's quite different. But I would say the main difference between the U.S. and Canada is that three-tier system, which we don't really have. Yeah, is the wholesaler. Canada. Yeah, is that wholesaler. And that was really, you know, when I moved from Canada to the U.S., that was the big kind of, wow, I got to figure this thing out. Um, that 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 wholesaler piece in the equation of getting to the consumer. So, does that end up affecting the the purchase price for the consumer since you're cutting out a layer? Um, well, the taxes are different too. I, you know, I say the taxes are probably higher in in Canada, Tony. So they are. Uh, yeah. So the price. Yeah, they of, are you know, for sure. They are. So the price of beer is 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 typically higher. I would say in Canada. And the U.S., but I don't think it has anything to do with the three-tier system. I think it's more of the the taxes uh, that really play a role on that. But again, province to province, the prices change. So Quebec would be, uh, you know, probably lower in terms of consumer retail pricing, and as you go out west, it's probably a little bit higher. Well, we know in America the trends are definitely good for you. That is on fire right now. Also, you know, craft beer. That's also definitely trending up what would you what are the trends that you're seeing in your particular beverage niche yeah very similar to the u.s we're probably a few years behind but i would say very similar so better for you products are, are trending so you know the slim and clear 2.0s of the world and Michelob ultras are doing well in canada and then this hard seltzer phenomena with the white claws of the world are really starting to explode uh in canada um, so we play in that realm as well, but not as big a player as obviously White Claw. So White Claw came to Canada about a year ago and really took over, you know, market leadership and dominance. Uh, we just actually purchased, uh, a local Canadian company called Socialite that plays in that hard seltzer category. So we are starting to become a, a bit of a player and, and we're looking to gain market share in that, in that category, but. That category is exploding. The amount of competition is is just unbelievable in terms of the players in it now. And you can see consumers are really moving into that. I mean, you go into the, the, the beer stores or the liquor stores, you can see the share of sh- shelf that these, uh, that these companies are gaining now. So it, it is taking away from beer, and it's hurt craft beer. Craft beer started has really started to slow down. So you know, I'd say beer in general is, is slowing down. Um, and that seltzer movement is gaining a lot of momentum in Canada, very similar to the U.S. The size of the beverage alcohol pie really doesn't change. It's you're you're, you're stealing share from it, depending you're on just, what category yeah. you know you're Correct. playing. Yeah. Do you think the seltzer is 
has got staying power or is that just a, a flash in the pan? I think it has staying power. Yeah, I don't think it's a fad. It's been pretty strong in, in the U.S., I would say, for the last three to four years. Um, I I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think it's here to stay, and then we'll innovate off that, I believe, into different flavors and, and you know, different mixes, et cetera. But I think, I think it was wise, stay. though, that you guys made an acquisition to get into it. Now, I don't know anything about the, the process of making a hard seltzer, um, and that's really not what we're here to talk about. It, you know, the differences between brewing and, and making a hard seltzer. But do, do you have any um, kind of high level information about just what that process is? Maybe the differences, or do you have to like totally retool your line to to get involved in that? What's the, the yeah? High well, level? Most, of, most of the companies use third party because um, we, we don't have a license to make spirits in our in our breweries. So because it's vodka based for the most part. Um, you know, most of the companies are using third party. Um, and that's the difference between the U.S. And, and Canada. So in grocery in the U.S., most of those products are malt-based. In Canada, the majority of those products are spirit-based. So a little bit of a difference there. Oh, so you said, they, did you say they were malt-based? In the U.S., they're malt-based, yeah. Just selling grocery. So when you buy White Claw or Truly at a grocery store in the United States, it's a malt-based product or sugar-based, but it's not spirit. It's not vodka. We use real vodka mostly in Canada. Well, the winters are colder. You need a little more punch. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You gotta you gotta get the engine fired up. Exactly. Exactly. I had asked you before the podcast started. Um, well, it just kind of came up that you just kind of offhanded said, you know, I really haven't hired too many salespeople as of late. Is is that uh, is that a function of COVID? Is that just because you know, the sales staff has just kind of stayed put. What, like, like what's happening in that, in that realm of, of growth and for you having to strategize, you know, growing your, your brand share? Yeah. I don't know if it was a, a result of COVID. I would say at Sleeman in particular, um, we've got fairly low turnover. And I think that's really due to the, the culture here. I mean, we've got a, a great culture. We don't take ourselves too seriously, Tony. Uh, we take what we do serious, but we have some fun along the way. It's the beer business. Um, but people you should like be having what... fun. It's beer. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. something's wrong if you've got a, a, a rigid, cold, you know, culture. You're, you're. This should be a fun, a fun environment. Yeah, we've got a great culture here. Very entrepreneur, um, a very collaborative culture, and people really like working here. Um, so our turnover, I would say at the, you know, especially in sales at the sales manager and above level is quite low. I mean, sales reps and merchandisers, they turn over because we're a relatively small company. So the, the, you know, the opportunity to move up isn't as large if you work as, you know, if you're working for a Coke or a Pepsi or a Labatt per se, but, um, a lot of our people stay because they enjoy the culture. Uh, it's a fun business. And we let people, you know, kind of run their business and be kind of little entrepreneurs within their certain region or territory. And uh, it's a, it's just a great place to work. So people like working here. I know in the U.S. when you want to expand your market, you you kind of hit the streets. You go out and you you have tastings. You try to get in front of as many people as possible. Is that um, is that also part of the culture there to expand and take away market share from others? Is it that same approach? For sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's samplings. It's really, you know, how can we execute at the store level? So whether it's samplings or 
a point of purchase material. Um, yeah, I, I would say the it's very similar to uh, you know to the to the U.S. Um, you know, the other big driver of growth though in this category is innovation. So you have to be innovative. You've got to come out with new products. Customers and consumers are looking for that year in and year out. So it's kind of maintain that base and then, you know, driving your innovation pipeline, which is really going to lead you to growth. And we've, the, the, the nice thing about Sleeman, Tony, is that we've continued to grow every year, but, but small. Like we're not growing half a share point or a share point. We're growing like 0.2, uh, 0.3 uh, market share, very consistently um, every year in and year out, which I think is good because you don't want to have those big swings. You know, we, I grow a share point one year then I'm down a point and a half the next, and then I'm up and down. Like we're very consistent uh, in our growth. And I think that's just a testament of, you know, our, our culture, our management team and our, and our innovation pipeline has led us to, you know, some nice sustainable growth. Well, and it also sounds like the, the customer, the consumer likes what you're doing too, because you're not getting those big swings. They're sticking with, the innovations that you're making does sales play a part in the innovation like on the street what you're hearing what the feedback is or is that really kind of pushed out to the the internal innovations in, in marketing team yeah i would think sales plays a, a big role in innovation because we really got to go out and get that distribution so that's really our our job is to get the distribution get it in the right spot on the right shelf whether it's you know, is it cold or is it eye level? Like that's where our team really comes into play on innovation. It's getting that, you know, point of connection with the, with the consumer. And then we let the marketing team really drive with the above the line, you know, the advertising, the, the, the marketing, the TV campaign, et cetera. But, you know, my team really goes out and, and gets that, gets that distribution, making sure that the consumer can see it when they go in that store. So we do play a, a big role. Um, and you know, we, we run our sales and marketing team as a commercial team. So we're very in tune with each other. We communicate, you know, regularly and that, that just ensures flawless execution when that happens. You know, most people who are maybe not in the food and beverage industry that listen to this podcast and they, they hear innovation and they think you're coming up with a new beer or you're coming up with a new flavor. But a lot of times innovation could just be new packaging. Exactly. New packaging, news, yeah, a different SKU. So is it a 15-pack or an 18-pack or, you know, is it a 12 plus 3? Absolutely. Uh, it's not just liquid. It's It could be packaging as well. When it does come to changing the actual flavor of your your brew or coming up with a new one, typically how long does it take you guys to hit the market with an, a brand new, you know, new formula? Yeah, it's a good question. We have a – so we have a little pilot brewery. Uh at our at our main brewery in Guelph, so I would say you know it could be anywhere from six to twelve months, just depending on you know what we're making, uh, when we want to launch it, you know how complex are the ingredients. But this uh, this pilot brewery that we uh, have established here in Guelph has really helped us, you know, with our with our innovation pipeline, and we can brew you know, unique uh, products outside of our our main production facility, which is which is. Uh, I'd say a, a nice advantage for us. And that just must be so fun just to live near a pilot brewery. Just <laughs> every, every couple months, you know, you go in and there's something different. You can pair it up with different foods. I think it's a great idea because you get instant feedback. Yeah. Well, it, it's fun too. As a part of the executive team here at Sleeman, we actually approve all the final liquids. So 
there's uh, many meetings on Monday afternoons where we're doing tastings. <laughs> and, Happy uh, hour. <laughs> it's one of the perks, you know, I would say of, uh, of this, of, of course. Uh, this business. But, uh, of course. I mean, it's, 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 it is, it is work though. I have heard, I've heard from others, you know, it is not always glamorous having to go in and, and go through tastings, you know, where it's just, that part of it can be a little grueling, but, um, but as an, as a, as a group heading out to the, pilot brewery you know uh late on a monday afternoon that that's a that's a social event too yeah no it's a lot of fun and uh it's uh you know sometimes my friends kind of question me and say really that's what you did this afternoon but but hey uh it's got to be like done. other yeah well it's funny we have an expression you know people go off on a boondoggle y'all you, you literally have sanctioned boondoggles we are literally going to the brewery just to have some fun yeah exactly exactly no, that that's great well, one of the, I think it's kind of interesting what you do. Uh, you, you've had a few different roles over your career. We're not going to go back through all the the different positions that you've had within the either CPG or the or the beer industry. But you presented me with something that I thought was really unique. I've I have heard of other executives that do this. They show up in a new job. Uh, or a new position within a company, and they have a whole brand new set of staff. And you have a document or of a sort, don't you? That may, maybe you could tell people a little bit more about this. Is there a name for it? What, what do you call it? <laughs> what, what is this? I don't even know. A, it. It's a beautiful what PDF. It. What is it? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I call it. And I, you know, I don't even remember. I, I'm trying to remember why I developed it, or, or I know why I developed it, or when. But it's a document that I've used throughout my whole career. And it really, I felt, as going going into new organizations or a new job, I want people to get to know me and know what I'm about. And, you know, what I've done in the past is, you know, kind of the first week when I start a new, with a new company or a new job, it's, you know, I want to have one-on-ones with each of my team members and really just have a conversation about, you know, who I am, you know, what my commitment to them is, uh, what are my operating beliefs, and just, uh, you know, and get their perspective as well. Like, what are their beliefs and how do they like to be, you know, led and et cetera. So I've used this document throughout my career at Labatt and Pepsi and Slim. And I, I took it to the U.S. with me. And it just, you know, it's it's just a nice document to really get that conversation going with, with new team members. And I think people appreciate it and respect it that, you know, uh, that I'm taking the time to listen and understand and and listen to them and they get to listen to me and uh, we just have a really good open and honest conversation. I think it really helps us get off on a really good foot you know, as we venture down the path of working together. So it's, it's worked well. If some, if your boss is replaced above you, it's, it's a, you can have a moment of fear, mm-hmm. you know, is, is there going to be a change or are they going to make a change? And it's the same at all levels. So I think coming in and providing them this, insight into who you are, I think it does help relieve some of the tension. And you've even, so I know this is obviously not a, a, a video, so people can't see this, but what Lauren's done, it's it's a PDF and it's, it's, it's styled. It's got a lot of character to it and it's got a lot of photos and it's got a personal section, which I think is really, really kind of cool. You know, it talks about your background, you know, you've got kids and the things that you like doing. So it's, um, it's almost like a dossier, right? It's like a like a. It's not a resume that you would ever use, but it, it serves that purpose a little bit, doesn't it? In some way, absolutely. And I, 
you know, I like the the first page, like the background, like where where's Lauren from? Like who does he have kids? What are his hobbies, right? So it just gives you it gives that person just the little bit of insight that I'm just like them. I mean, maybe I'm three or four levels above in terms of title, but I I have a house, I'm married, I've got kids, I've got all the same, put my pants on the same way as everybody else. I think it just brings into perspective uh, you know, who I am as a person, where I came from, you know, my career. And it's just good. It's a good uh, conversation starter. And it really, I think, you know, I've been reading a little bit about vulnerable leadership and I, it just opens you up and it really lets people in. And I think you want to know, you know, I think people like that. And, and then they start to feel comfortable around you because you don't want right. that. You, you don't have- want not to feel comfortable around your colleague or your boss, et cetera. So, I think it, it helps. Well, now you've just touched on something that every now and then I hear this phrase, and I want you to explain that a little bit more and what that means to you or maybe what you know about it, this vulnerable leadership. Yeah, I think, you know, there's two types, and I've been reading a little bit about it, but there's two types of kind of leadership that I look at. There's armored leadership. So it's like, you know, being a knower and always being right. And then there's daring leadership, right? It's being a lear- learner and getting it right. And you don't always know the answer as a, as a leader. And open yourself up and, and admit to making a mistake or show your emotion. Um, you know, those kinds of things, I think, really, uh, that's what vulnerable leadership is to me. And I've got a lot more to learn about it and to read about it. But I want people to see who I really am. I don't want... I don't want to put up that wall. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of how I view it. And I've got a lot more to learn about it and to read about it, but I've started to talk to my team about it as well. And I think, again, just even talking about it is being vulnerable. So I think they appreciate that. There is a, a, a belief out there that it takes strength to be vulnerable. Yeah. And it takes courage to be vulnerable. And maybe that's why it's called daring leadership. Right. Right, right because name, you're exposed because you're exposing yourself exactly. which is again I, I frankly I've not read that book that you're referencing armor versus daring but when you stop and think about it the armor is basically covering your heart it's covering your mind it's covering your organs you know it's very closed and you're not letting anyone see your weaknesses because you do have weaknesses. If you think that you know everything, you really don't. The armor is almost like a shell. It's almost like a uh, a facade, for sure. Because, well, frankly, it's not very it's not very uh, humble. I think humility is is a is a better way to lead. Yeah, that's the first thing on my you know on my PDF <laughs> on commitment to my team. It's about trust, honesty, respect. You know, it's it's being open and honest, and that's 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 where it starts. And absolutely, I make mistakes. Like if you can't admit to making a mistake, or um, then yeah, again, your people see that and they're like, I don't want to work for a guy or a girl like that. Like I I, I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And being human, uh, I think, is a real important aspect of being a, a great leader. And you know, the days of, you know, just that armored, like you talked about, or just being really strict and not letting people in. Um, I don't think people will adapt to that, the, you know, the way the world works today. And I think that's the old way and we've got to adapt and we've got to change. And, um, you know, and I'm 
still got a lot to learn about it and I'll never stop learning. Um, but man, I make mistakes all the time and I'm okay to admit it. Yeah. And I love that you just said, you know, letting people in and when you don't feel like, you know, the executive team, or you don't feel like you can get to know people that you're working with it, it creates a darkness, a, a fuzziness, and you're just not sure where you stand with them. And then it, frankly, you can't trust them. And you need people to trust you because if they make a mistake, they need to know that you're there to help them and that you're not going to crucify them. And I would think people with an armor are the ones who are not being, people are not forthcoming. They're not coming to them when they make mistakes. Yeah, for sure. There's this good, I don't know where I picked this up. I listen to a lot of, um, there's a, do you know the Toronto Blue Jays, the baseball team? Of course, they beat the they they beat my Atlanta Braves back in nineteen ninety two, whatever it was. Right. Uh, Joe Carter, Joe Carter, walk off home run. Yeah, maybe I kind of know a little something about that. <laughs> well, their leader, their president, Mark Shapiro. I listen to a lot of uh, like I follow him on Twitter, and I listen to a lot of his interviews, and he he he's got a really good leadership philosophy. And I was reading something on Twitter this morning. Um, and let me, let me just share it with you. And I thought it was quite interesting. You know, good leaders build products, great leaders build culture, you know, good leaders deliver results, great leaders develop people, you know, those kind of, like, that's the, that to me, that's the new way of leadership. And that's what people are looking for. You know, you, you obviously we got to deliver results. We all know yeah, that. But. I knew you were going to say that, and I know everyone was thinking that when yeah. when I, when I heard that. Yeah, yeah. You have to but do both. You're going you're to deliver results when you develop people. You're going to get it's, it's going to happen, right? Um, so I just thought those were interesting quotes as well, and that that's really you know my my leadership style and how I like to operate. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, you know that new thinking of leadership. Uh, being vulnerable, being authentic, listening. Uh, I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. Um, that kind of thing. Like that's my style. Right. And I think that's why I've been successful. And I think people enjoy, you know, working with me on, on a team. Thinking about all the different salespeople, all the different levels. Typically it's the lower, lower mid people in their career. They're still figuring things out. And they do have problems. They do have challenges. And when they come to your team, you do, you've done as, the best job as you can interviewing them. You think you've got everything vetted out, but they do run into problems and they do, they do need help being developed personally and professionally. How do you, how do you go about doing that? Is there, I know it's individual for everyone, but can you, can you think back on maybe one or two different salespeople that maybe you, you, there's something that, that you could share now that would help another sales leader who's got a, an underperforming or struggling salesperson for whatever reason. Yeah, it, you know, I think you got to be patient. It takes time. So there's been a few leaders that I've had an opportunity to either mentor or they've worked for me. And you really got to, you've got to be patient, you know, um, listen, listening and understanding there, maybe they've made a mistake and, and let's understand it. And you, you learn from, you don't learn from success. You learn from mistakes. Um, so those, you know, I would say, you know, one individual, I won't mention the name, but one individual that I worked really closely with, 
Um, came into the organization, you know, really good sales rep, uh, really good district manager, and then kind of got, you know, bumped up to more of a senior sales leader and, you know, first time managing people, et cetera. So it was just a lot of listening and, and understanding and really just helping them guide their way through, you know, managing people and, and, and allowing them to make mistakes because that's okay. Like we, we learn from those mistakes. And as long as we learn from those mistakes and take that learning and implement it into, you know, into our future, uh, you know, work, I think we're going to, I think you're going to be in a good spot. So, you know, I don't have anything specific, but I know I did just did a lot of listening, Tony, and a lot of, um, Hey, it's okay. You made a mistake. Let's, let's, let's learn from it. What can we do differently the next time and, and build from there? Well, one of the other areas that comes up a lot in sales leadership and sales management is this debate. Can you actually motivate someone? And I've had people ask me this and I've debated this. So I'm a pretty self, I'm very self-motivated. I'm also very competitive. My personal belief is a person has to be built, you know, to be competitive They have to be self-motivated, but I do think there are things you can do to me or surround me with a culture or an environment that might add extra motivation. So what are your thoughts when it comes to motivating salespeople or or can you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I agree with your point. I think it's hard to teach motivation or you either have it or you don't, but but you could put up a barrier to someone that is typically motivated. And I think it really starts with, with the culture of the company or how you lead your team. So I believe you could put up a wall that could, you know, um, that could challenge someone that is typically motivated, but they, they just, that culture is not working for them and they just shut down. Um, so really, you know, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think either you have it or you don't, but there are walls that could be put up that could, you know, um, potentially I'd say put a person that was typically motivated and, you know, they may hit that wall because that culture is not there or that leader is not there. Yeah. So I think you really just described the opposite side of the coin. I was saying that you can put things in place, you know, to motivate me to maybe extra, you know, add extra incentive and so the flip side of that is a stifling culture or some kind of culture that doesn't allow those salespeople to be creative and free to have some kind of autonomy. Yeah. I mean, I felt that in my own, like, I think I can go back to companies or roles where I feel like I'm a motivated person, but I've shut down before just because I'm like, I didn't believe in the culture or the vision or that leader. I just, it just shut down, but I'm a motivated person. You know, I feel I'm a motivated person. Um, so I think that's, you know, there's an example right there. Well, so who is the responsibility then to give the why, the why they should go to work and what they stand for, the purpose of the mission? Is that is that your job or is that the, the CEO's job? Where, where does that responsibility fall? I think it's the executive team. I mean, you know, typically at Sleeman, we're, we're a very collaborative organization. So I would say most of the, the decisions or vision – uh, et cetera, really, you know, we as an executive team come together and, and, and make decisions. We collaborate and we make decisions. I think it starts there. It starts with the leadership. The leadership has to walk the talk. Uh, cause if they don't, nothing, nothing really happens. 
the nice thing about Sleeman is, again, it's a very collaborative decision-making process. So we may not all agree, but we all get on the bus at the end of the day. We all leave that meeting and say, okay, you know what? I, I'm aligned. Let's move forward. And we're, we all kind of hold hands and walk out in, in agreement. But there are times where I may, I may not personally, but I, you know, I get it. And if seven of eight are aligned, I get on the bus and let's go kind of thing. And that's how we make decisions around here. If executive leadership is not giving the why, then it does fall to you specifically to do it. And I know I've worked in organizations where I don't think the executive team has put forward the proper why, and that has to come from me. Yeah. And that will that's last, that, that's a challenge. And it will, that, you can hold it together for a time, but it can creep in from other people in the organization, negativity or, you know, disagreement. So that's not ideal. No, that, that, no, that's definitely. Sure. It has to start with the leadership team. Uh, and every company is different. I mean, you know, I would say, you know, Sleeman, I think it's unique where, you know, the, the vice presidents really, along with the CEO, but we we're in on any, on every decision. Um, we may not, like the outcome of every decision, but we're in on it. We collaborate, we make a decision and we're, we're all aligned. And if you have that, there's a, we've had that before here where there hasn't been alignment and there's been a bit of dissension at the, at the uh, senior leadership level on that. And people can see that, right? Like people can read right through that and yeah. that's a problem. Um, but we, you know, the, the management team that we've got here, like we all get along uh, people can see, and people can see that too. They can feel the they can feel the DNA of the leadership team. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I think so. They can, they can feel it, and uh, when you've got that cohesiveness, uh, good things happen. And when you don't, uh, there's problems, and then people start gossiping and this and that, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't lead to you know that erodes. Yeah, and then. Again, sales is one of the, the toughest jobs in the organization because they're out in front of customers, potential customers, prospects. They're dealing with feelings, emotions, and uh, you know buyer motives. It's very challenging, and they know they need to produce. And so, when they don't feel that everyone's pulling in the same direction, yeah, they can they can kind of kind of quickly shut down. No, exactly. So, Lauren, you've reached the level of VP, and as you mentioned, there's not a lot of turnover. So, it took an, it took some effort, you know, for you to get to that that space. We have a a phrase or a expression here on the Winning to Work podcast, and that is your superpower, and it's basically the the skill or the trait, something that you have that you do so naturally that you constantly use it to achieve success. Have you given any thought to what your superpower might be? Oh, that's a great question. I have not. Oh, I've got you. I have not. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Cause I had to see, I had to take the Clifton strengths finder to help me identify what I do. Well, have you ever taken one of those personality profiles? A long, long, long time ago. I think even before I managed people. So, yeah, um, it would probably change or be a little bit different. Yeah, it probably would be. Um, yeah, I don't know what my super. That's a good question. You know, I if I had to answer it right now on the spot, I would say my authenticity. I think people, um, 
I think people see that in me and I think they can relate to me and I think they're comfortable working with me. And I think that's why I've been successful, not only in my career, but I've been successful in developing people because I, I care and I want to develop people. I'm not here just to deliver results. I mean, those are important, but I want to, I want to see people do well. And when people do well, it reflects on me. Um, so I don't know if that's an answer, but, uh, sounds like but, servant leadership too. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. A superpower is, is also a skill or a trait that other people can learn. It shouldn't just be a trait that is off limits that only a few people have. I believe we all have all these traits within us. Some just don't show up, but they're there and others show up, you know, stronger. So in other words, these are on a spectrum is how I see it. And how does one go about being authentic? Is there a, maybe that just goes back to being vulnerable or just not being afraid to be open? Yeah, I, I think it's your personality. Like, I mean, I've worked for leaders that aren't authentic and that are real hard asses. I don't know. Can I swear on this podcast? Of course you can. <laughs> I mean, hard ass. I don't really think hard ass. Anybody. I think in 2021, I don't think hard ass That's qualifies as. We have Canadian. I'm, I'm nice. I'm too nice. Exactly. Um, but I, so I, I think it's your personality. Like I don't, you know, you're born with that or you develop, your parents really develop that. Like, I mean, you are, you know, a lot of you are, um, what your parents have are. Like, I, I truly believe that. I mean, I think that your parents are really key, instrumental in, in making the person that you are today. And I think you are what you are. So I, I kind of feel like you're born with that a little bit. But, I, I know mean, that kind of know. that kind of goes against with what I was saying, right? That it's a skill that or a trait that you could possibly yeah. learn. And I think that's the challenge is that you know, if if you're not authentic, that is something that you really you I think you need to learn how to develop and, you know, acquire acquire that. Frankly, maybe just listening more. Yeah, and you have to I mean, you know, what I've done, I would say over my career is is you pick up little things from great leaders as well, right? Like you don't, you have to be yourself. Like I really believe that you have to be, if you try to be somebody else, then people see through that. But if you pick, you know, one or two traits from, you know, four, you know, four or five leaders that you've worked with throughout your career, and then you bring those into your arsenal. Um, you know, I think I've done that for sure. I've done that. And uh, I think that's helped me immensely to be a, you know, I think I'm a good leader. I feel like I'm a good leader. So I think that's helped me and just continuing to learn. And, and I don't, I don't, and not acting like, you know, everything, like, I don't know everything like every day I'll learn every day until I retire. Well, then I'll be learning other things, but I, I don't yeah. know everything and I've got lots to learn. And I know that. And again, I think people respect that and they can see that and they can see the type of person that I am. And I, and that's the type of person I feel like that's the kind of people that you want to work for. And that's the kind of people that you'd run through a wall for. Um, you see, that's what always confuses me about executive leaders that are hard asses. Like how did they get to that spot? They must have just an incredible tactical or execution skill. Maybe they deliver results at all cost and, that's accepted, but yet they leave a wake of people, you know, behind them. And 
that's just to me, that doesn't sound like success. So yeah. I'm always, it's, yeah. it just seems like, how did they get there? I, I don't, I don't see that. I don't. Well, it, it happens and it, it starts with the culture of the company. I, I mean, your company has to have a certain culture, but even like, I think Sleeman has a great culture, but we've had those hard asses in our organization as senior leaders, but they eventually they, people find out about them and they, you know, it doesn't last. So it could last for two, three years, four years, but they, they eventually get exposed. Um, and then they're, you know, they either leave or we ask them to leave. So I bet, I believe it starts with the culture of the company. If the culture of the company is a real hard ass results at all costs mentality, then you're going to have those type of people. Um, and I'm sure it exists out there, but that's not the company that I want to work for. But that's just my, that's just me. Yeah. But I think to your point, I think if you're in sales, you really do need to understand, you know, what is that, that management philosophy? And I do think that needs to be part of the questions that you ask when you do your backdoor referencing on the company. Sure. For sure. You know, for are sure. they, are they empathetic leaders or are they just results at all cost? Yeah. Now I know yeah. you. I know you haven't had a lot of opportunity to hire lately because, as you said, well, at the sales management and above, it's been uh, very, very stable. But you've obviously hired salespeople over your career. Can you give us some advice? So you're you're a sales leader. You need to hire some salespeople. Do Do you have anything that that might help them? Particular interview questions or. Um, a way of evaluating or assessing people. Yeah, well, I, I thought a little bit about this. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll, I'll give you a tip that I use um, that I think you know other people could use in, in the interview process. So, like I said, I haven't hired a lot of people recently, but I've been part of the interview process um, just because I get dragged into that uh, every once in a while because we do collaborate a lot here at Slayman. One of the things that I like to do is I like to meet a person for a beer or a coffee outside of the office or boardroom environment, I feel you get a better perspective of the person. I mean, anybody can come in, I think, and nail an interview. I, I truly believe that they could study, you, you know, it, it's not that difficult. Get that person outside of the boardroom, get them, uh, you know, we call it the beer and chicken wing test. Sometimes an old boss of mine used to say that. Have we given them the beer, the beer and chicken wing test, right? And that's when I think you really see the person. And that's, you know, again, I can, we can teach people the skills to be, you know, the sales skills required, but what type of person are you? Are you going to fit in our culture? Are you a good fit? There's a tons of people that have the, I find the skill set required for the role, but are they the right person? Um, are they going to fit in the culture? Are they going to fit in the team? And I think that is what I look for. We can teach them all the other stuff. Are they a good fit? If they're not a good fit, and that's where it stops for me. I love it. So go have a beer and 12 wings yeah. or maybe two, two beers. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll, you'll kind of sort out, do they fit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Well, and typically when an organization is hiring, they, people do put a call out here. So I don't know if that's a situation that you're in right now, but are there any open positions right now that you'd like to have people, people that are listening kind of circle back to you guys and maybe forward some resumes to you? Is there anything going on? You know, right now we're, we're at our full complement, but I always, you know, one of the other things that I do is I, 
when people reach out, like I always, I'm open to having a conference. Like a lot of people will reach out and say, you know, hey, do you have anything open? I say, no, but, you know, if you want to meet for a coffee and I can tell you a little bit about the company and a little bit about myself and the organization, et cetera, like I, I do that a lot because you never know. But um, I, I try to keep, uh, you know, those conversations fluid. So when things do come open, um, you know, hey, I remember having a coffee with that, that lady or that guy, et cetera. So uh, nothing at the moment, but I, I do... You know, I wouldn't call it re proactive recruiting, but I do uh, have conversations with people all the time uh, that want to know a little bit about the beer business, about our company. And who knows, maybe in three, four months, there will be an opening and then I've got a, an opportunity there to maybe have a further conversation. That's a great strategy. Company. And not I don't think enough executives do that. I do think there are a fair amount, but I think that's actually great advice is that, you know, Continue interviewing even though you don't have an opening. Absolutely. Because you've Absolutely. got to keep building that pipeline because, I mean, Absolutely. working with recruiters, you know, we're, look, I mean, obviously my world as a headhunter, we get pulled in when the well is dry or you've got a confidential situation or it's a very tough situation, you know, and you need us to go headhunt something very specific, but you're, you know, for your general sales positions, you should never stop interviewing. For sure. For sure. And honestly, Tony, like I, I do feel it, it is a bit, people love the beer business. They want to talk about beer and, you know, a lot of people want to work in this business. So we get a lot of requests. So I would say it's, it's, it's a little easier to get that group of people and get, get those conversations going. But absolutely, I do it quite a bit. And, you know, anybody that reaches out to me, I will follow up and, you know, lately it's been Zoom calls because I've so I've done a couple of those. But pre-COVID, it was like, hey, let's meet for a coffee, or hey, let's meet for a beer and have a yeah. conversation. And uh, you know, and I think I feel uh, it's an it's an important thing. I and I call it kind of proactive recruiting, um, even if you don't have anything available. And maybe someday I'll need that. And I hope you know I hope there's someone out there that would you know uh, do that for me. Extend the same courtesy. Yeah, I know yeah. I do. I I always. Try to spend a few minutes when people are, are networked to me. I, I don't know when I can help them, but at least, you know, yeah. make that network. And I find that people are just want to help. You know, I, I like to help people. I want to meet people who like to help. We do a lot of networking, a lot of connecting. And for sure, I mean, it's, it's, it's just an old adage, you know, just kind of pay it forward. Yeah. You and know, sometimes I'll get a, I'll get a, a call from a recruiter um, about an opening. And then if I've met with somebody, I'll just pass it on to him, you know, uh, then. So. Exactly. It's a good lead. Well, in closing, are there social media channels that people should be out there looking for so they can kind of watch and follow Sleeman or f watch and follow you and the things that you're doing? <laughs> um, you know, I would say that's probably one of our opportunities as a company uh, with, with social media. So, I mean, we've got our website and, and, and Instagram, you know, Sleeman.ca is our website, but that's probably one of our areas of opportunity is trying to, you know, how do we figure out a way to be more influential from a social media perspective? Um, so I would call that an opportunity for our company, Tony. <laughs> yeah, that's – that. I, I don't think you're alone. Yeah. I don't it's think hard. you're alone. I, it's think, hard to I do. think the new companies, when they start up, I think they're probably hyper-focused on that. 
I had I've had some really good guests on, and you know, one of the, I can I can give you one of the themes is just pick one social and start with that. Don't don't try to handle all of them, and you need to understand how to show up on that platform. Like if you, if y'all don't have any experience with TikTok, I would not say just start jumping in. <laughs> don't yeah, jump exactly. in and you'll get crushed. Yeah. Yeah. And having the right resources on it too, right. Is important. I mean, you know, it's hard to give that task, you know, Hey, can, you know, can you run this brand as well as, you know, be our social media expert? So you know, we've done that in the past and that doesn't necessarily set you up for success. So, but it's an, op- you know, it's definitely an opportunity that, you know, I think uh, we recognize as a commercial group and uh, we're, we are getting better, but uh, there's opportunity there for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going back through my, um, my past episodes and Sloan Kelly is someone who I would absolutely refer you guys to because she's the one, she's a, a branding marketing and content expert. She had really kind of come to fame, I guess, as the head of content. She was the vice president um, at the PGA tour. And I know you're a big oh, golfer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great episode. So for all of y'all out there, if you're in the same situation that they're in episode 56, social media with content with expert Sloan Kelly. Um, and that's a, that's a great takeaway. And you can find links to her, to her company and everything there because that's, it is overwhelming and they can definitely help you through that. I think the name of the company she's with is nine rooftops. So, okay. But that's a, a little side note there, a little shout out for, for Sloan because she's fantastic and it's a, it's a struggle that a lot of companies go through. So you're, you're definitely not alone, Lauren. Great. Well, thanks for the, the insight there. Yep, absolutely. And thank you so much for, for being here and really helping us understand a little bit more about the, the beer industry, what's happening in Canada, kind of contrasting that with the U.S. You know, I'm not a big seltzer guy, so... It's interesting. You think it's here to stay. So we'll, we'll have to see, you know, how much of a bite it takes out of beer and craft beer. And you're right. It's probably more on the craft beer side that that's going after because it's a, it's a specialty. Yeah, it is. And, and crafts change too. It's become so much more local. So trying to be a, a, you know, a mainstream craft is it just, it's challenging as well because there's so many local craft breweries that have opened. So and you know what happens when things start to take off, everybody jumps in, right? So it happened with craft beer and it's happening with hard seltzers and that's just uh, how things work. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah, that's good insight. I definitely appreciate that. And Lauren, thank you for your wisdom and your, your insight to the, the culture and really just, you know, how to be an authentic sales leader. I think you did a nice job. You know, you are very genuine and you're very easy to talk to. And I encourage everyone to reach out to you. I'm going to put your links to your company into you on LinkedIn. So, um, you know, I definitely encourage people to reach out and, you know, make that, make that connection with you, sir. Great. Thanks, Tony. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Likewise, we will, we will have a follow-up at some point and we will see what, what changes have happened up there in Canada. I would love to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, Tony. 